Hello and welcome back to Stat Chat. Dishing it with D. Klatz. I am Dave Klatsky of Colgate Men's Basketball. Today's guest is a fellow Shore Conference brethren hailing from the great state of New Jersey, Brian Lynch. And Brian is the head coach of Spiro Charlois in Belgium. This is the first time we've had a overseas coach on the show and to me this was extremely informative because having never played over in Europe I know a little bit about it but he kind of explains the landscape and the resources available for a team that is what he deems a mid-major level team comparatively speaking over in Europe so enjoy this one uh I know I did. I learned a lot. He's a great guy, great coach, and I hope he does well. I'll be rooting for him. Um, so buckle up and enjoy. Hello, and thank you for listening to Stat Chat. I am Dave Klatsky of Colgate Men's Basketball. And for today's guest, we are going to, across the pond to Belgium. Uh, well, actually, uh, he's currently in America, so not quite, but he is the head coach over in Belgium for Spirou Charlois. Did I say that right? That's, Is that, that's correct. correct. That's correct. Spirou Charlois. Nice, nice. So, Brian Lynch, welcome. Uh, if you don't mind, um, if you could just kind of give us a brief background of your playing and coaching career and kind of why and how you got into coaching after you were done playing. Sure. Well, first off, thanks for having me, Dave. Uh, pleasure to be on here with you. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I started uh, my basketball career down in, uh, in New Jersey in high school at CBA. Um, had a really good career there with uh, a lot of good guys. Played a lot of uh, a lot of my uh, teammates ended up going to play Division One. Uh, I ended up uh, I played for Coach Edward Zelinski, uh, one of the well-known coaches in the Jersey Shore. Uh, ended up going to Villanova. Had four years at Villanova with Steve Lapis. Uh, then trans. Uh, Going over to, uh, seas to a bunch of countries, basically, uh, I pretty much traveled the whole map of Europe my first four years, man. And then uh, I found a, a home away from home in Belgium my fifth year overseas and played about five years there. Uh, ended up retiring a little bit earlier. Uh, wife is a good tennis player, decided to follow her a little bit and got into coaching as soon as she was done about six, seven years ago and have been coaching in Belgium starting from the bottom and, and working my way up to the uh, the top at Spiro Shalawa. Great. And uh, I think you're uh, under-rating uh, your wife's tennis skills. Uh, Jim Clayton is a pretty good <laughs> tennis player. Not many people I could talk to uh, that I think uh, wives would beat me at tennis, so I'm pretty sure yours would. So. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, she, she, had to be pretty, she had to be pretty good to get me to stop playing early, so – uh, when she, when I was 30, I still felt like I had something left in the tank, and uh, she asked me. Obviously, we had our daughter, and she said she wanted to make a comeback, and I decided uh, she probably can do a lot better than I can uh, out on the field. So uh, she took the reins and uh, started playing tennis again, and I did a little bit of travel with her. And, uh, and actually, I'll be honest with you, it's good that we kind of segue into this because I think that was the beginning of my, my coaching aspiration because I started to, like, be around tennis and see the professionalism of individual sports. And I started to wonder, like, could, could you actually bring this kind of mentality into the basketball team atmosphere, you know, because 
at that level individually, you have to be so professional, Dave. It's unbelievable um, on all the little tiny details. And I started to wonder, you know, maybe I can kind of use this kind of this knowledge that I'm, I'm gaining here with traveling and, 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 and parlay into some sort of coaching. And that's what I kind of that's what kind of inspired me to start coaching. Yeah, I can imagine. I, I uh, obviously haven't played tennis myself. I always like the the parallels between you know having to kind of be out there by yourself and then kind of uh, being with a team. Uh, and she obviously yeah. plays at the highest level possible, so you get to see uh, the highest level and how they act and how their coaches treat them and things like that. So uh, definitely makes sense. Um, now, kind of moving into your, your coaching career now, uh, if we could just start with. What what kind of uh, your practices? I guess what's your staff look like, and what do you guys track stat wise at practices, if anything? All right. Well, so first off, uh, normally uh, in Europe, I mean budgets depend on how many assistants you can get. And uh, like I was saying, I'm still kind of young over here. This is my going to be, I guess, my seventh year. And uh, the first five years, it was just me and a buddy. Uh, I had one assistant coach, and we, we would use a system called Key Motion to follow practice and tag some plays on good offenses, you know, bad offenses, good defense, bad defense, et cetera. Kept it pretty simple. Um, next year, we're actually going to, for the first time, going to have a second assistant. And I'm going to start to probably move into more of using stats. Uh, you know, how, how are we shooting? Are guys making their free throws when we when we get at the end of practice? Uh, you know, did certain guys shoot it well? If they didn't, like getting extra, you know, player development in those in those areas of their game, uh, so we're going to try to get a little bit more particular this year as we add a second assistant. But uh, the use of film and, and stats, obviously, in, I think in any program is, is, is huge. So what exactly does key motion, is that like one of those uh, where it goes up on top and kind of films yes. everything? And, and does it yes. track anything or is it, how does that work? Well, I mean, it, it tracks the points. What happens is, is like it tracks every possession and you can tag each possession if you want, and, and so you put in your tags before you start. Uh, and, and it could be simple as, you know, we've been turning the ball over a lot this, you know, this week, Dave. I'm tired of the turnovers. I, w- I want to see all our turnovers and what the heck we're doing wrong. So uh, I'm going to put a tag in their turnovers, which uh, every time we turn the ball over, he hits that tag. At the end of practice, we have seven, eight turnovers. I can see what we did wrong in those, those possessions. That helps. And then sometimes I'll even show it to the guys. If one particular player uh, is is coughing a ball up all, all the time, I might send him a few clips and say, look, you're trying to do too much here. Look, we messed up our, you know, execution in this this play, and that's the only reason why you you, you turn the ball over. You know, let's let's clean up our execution. Uh, sometimes it's used to help players just like that to get to gain confidence that they're that it's not always their fault. That it's just about a simple small detail or, or not trying to do too much. So that key motion is really helpful. Uh, and and again, like where I think this year we're even going to add uh, uh, along with key motion is a, is a system called I think it's called PlaySight which started actually in tennis, is now branching out into basketball, and it's really good with player development because it has angles all around the court. There's cameras. Like, the key motion's one uh, one angle, basically up top. Uh, this one's going to have three different angles where we can get, like, really in-depth on, on the player development side. Nice. And, that, and that's uh, – is that something that most teams in Belgium have, or is that is that pretty expensive that you can only – you know, only some teams have? Is that pretty common over there? I think it's a new it's a new system. Our GM actually is a guy who actually works a little bit with them because he has ties and connections around Europe and in America, and he kind of brought it to me and said, "What are you thinking of this?" And I said, "Look, if you can get that, 
that would be tremendous to use, obviously. Uh, it, it gets us a lot of different angles, and, and you can draw, and, and it's interactive with the player right on site. It's really – play site is actually, from what I've – I've only gotten a small demonstration of it. Um, I'm looking forward to getting my hands on it and using it this year, but it seems like it's fantastic for uh, for player development. So he, he's been the connection. That's I don't know how many teams are going to be using it over here, right. but he, he's been talking about it. So uh, hopefully right. uh, it's going to be helpful for us. Yeah. So now, without a without a staff, obviously, uh, you know, some of the high major programs over here have many people working in low majors to mid majors. We have, you know, three assistants, usually an ops, maybe a video. So you know, four or five guys in addition to the head coach. Um, so I imagine is that, is that you going through and tagging all those plays and and uh, kind of working through it on your own? Like, and how long does that take you uh, on a on a given day? Well, you know what happens is um, we have the iPad, and my assistant coach will be walking around with the practice with the iPad. And he'll be, you know, last year it was just him and I, and we'll get an extra hand next year, which is great. And sometimes he was working the iPad and the clock when we were doing score and time. So uh, wow. he had his hands full. I, I, used to, I used to call him a magician. I told all the players, if anybody complains about the score, I said they're going to have a real big problem because this guy's managing <laughs> the, the key motion on the iPad and doing the score and time. So, um, But he uh, – he used to walk around the iPad. He'll clip a few things. I'd say all in all, after practice, there might be about, I don't know, three to four minutes of clips, five minutes of clips. It wouldn't be so much. I could watch right. that afterwards in my office or, or on the way home when he's driving because I, I have a pretty long drive with him. Um, so, you know, we, we, and then we, you know, depending on how bad it is, how good it is, uh, you know, do we need to send it? Do we need to do anything with it? Uh, it helps, helps, helps us with our preparation sometimes. If I see, the execution is really bad on a particular, I don't know, part of our offense. I'm going to say tomorrow, uh, hey, my assistant coach's name is Mitch. I say, Mitch, we, we need to do this, like, for about 10 minutes tomorrow, like, focus just on this. This is the third time I saw this in one of our clips. So that's where that kind of helps out. And that has nothing to do with statistics as, as opposed to sure. the eye test of yeah. watching, you know. Of course, of course. And um, what, what what is the practice schedule like uh, over there? You guys going twice a day? You know, in the preseason, or, or how does what is your you know weekly schedule? Is it similar to what we experience here as a college team in in America? Well, I think in from what I remember, I feel like college has been so long ago. I just turned forty this year, <laughs> so I feel like uh, ancient. But uh, I remember college being brutal in terms of you'd have about two and a half, three hour practices, and then coming back for another two and a half, three hour practice, which was like mind blowing to my to me now as I think back on that how I did it. Um, in Europe, it's a little bit different. Obviously, we're going to have an array of different ages. Next year, I have a guy on my team. He's a Serbian player who's 38 years old. If I put him through a two, three-hour practices, he's done probably for a week. So you really <laughs> got to take into account your, your personnel. Um, and, and I also think, uh, you know, our seasons are much longer than college seasons. We start middle of August. We're going to start our preseason. We're not done until probably June 1st and maybe even a little later if we go as far as the, the championship. So – we have to be a little – I think our, our practice has got to be a little bit more about quality over quantity. Um, and, and obviously, we're, we're, we're dealing with pros. So guys are pretty smart, pretty good players at that level. Um, the level of uh, um, what they take in happens – they absorb so, so much quicker. You know, what, what might take in a college, uh, let's say, preseason, two weeks to get three or four things that you really want to do well, it'll take us maybe – three or four days, you know, like those guys right, really are right. saying things really quickly and they're at a high level. So things kind of go quicker. So you don't have to spend so much time. I would say 
a normal week, we're doing two a days at about an hour and a half each um, with shooting as a second practice, focused on shooting and, and maybe strength and conditioning. Uh, I'd say they go anywhere between three and four hours a day for about three days of the week, and then the other, you know, three days is going to be a either a game in there, a one practice, uh, and maybe you could throw in like a player development and a, and a strength day. So. And obviously one day off, or sometimes even two days off. And 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 some teams uh, who play in European competition, Dave, they'll have it'll be a little bit different. They'll be playing in the middle of the week, and they'll be playing at the end of the week. So then there you got like maybe one practice game, uh, an IP session, which which is injury prevention, um, to kind of like get guys like a little recovery and strength. Uh, and then again one practice, then a game. So it could all depending on your schedule how it goes. Some teams play one game a week. Some teams play two a game. I even think some in the Adriatic and the East Side even play three games a week. Right, right. Now, getting back to um, you, you said you guys do a lot of, like, there, you might bring them back for a shooting practice. Um, right. How in-depth, like, how many different types of, uh, you know, some of the drills you do, like, not the exact drills, but kind of what type of shots are, are you talking about? Well, I, I try to – you know, my staff and I really are focused on getting shots out of our system and how we, we find shots in the game. So a majority of our shooting will be in those kind of categories. And, and don't get me wrong, we have our, we'll have a 100 series, a 200 series, a finish series, uh, uh, different ways we warm up for post and, and all that kind of stuff that, as you know, as coaches, you kind of try to work on a little bit of the development side in your shooting as well. But a lot of our stuff is is really primarily based on how how are we getting shots in a game, and that's what we're going to take we're going to take those shots. And sometimes it's going to be low reps, with uh, you know we're going to track how much we make. Uh, and sometimes it's going to be about volume shooting. Some days I might want to get guys in and say, look guys, I want you to do you know these six exercises, get about 30 shots in each one, and you know, we're just getting volume. And some days I come in and say, look, I want you to take this shot. I want you to take it only five times, and the next guy go, but do it at 100. 25% speed and, and really go at it. So depending on the day of the week, depending on, on what I feel like we need in terms of where our, our, our conditioning is at that, that time, uh, we'll, we'll kind of vary the, the, the shooting exercises. Let, let me ask you this, because I know uh, uh, for those that don't know, you were a tremendous shooter yourself. Um, has, do you think it's changed on how you prepared to be a shooter? I guess talk a little bit about how you did that and now and now what guys are doing today to kind of work on shooting with, you know, uh, uh, the Internet and available and all the uh, Steph Curry drills and everything like that. Is it different or, or do you think it's essentially the same, you know, get get reps and reps and reps and, and different types of shots? Yeah, I mean, I, I hate to say that I'm old school in that way, that I really believe that if you're doing something the right way and you're getting a ton of reps at it, you're you're eventually going to get pretty good at it. And obviously, there's some God-given ability in there. I mean, if you have a, a knack for shooting and, and a great eye-hand coordination and a great touch and a great feel, you might and your ceiling is going to be higher than some other guys that plays into it as well. But, you know, I'm old school, man. David, if you shoot a lot and you do it the right way and get a lot of reps, you know, that's, that's how I was able to shoot shoot really well in college and it's funny you say that like as I got out of college into my professional career I spent less time on my shot due to I wanted to do more things for my body so funny you know I guess this kind of like helps me solidify how I feel about shooting is I spent more time on my body then and my professional career than I did uh, shooting as I did in my college career because in college man they had us shooting so much 
And by getting those reps and getting that confidence, uh, I think one year I even shot 45% at Villanova and led the Big East in three-point shooting. And when I say that to guys who I played with towards the latter part of my career, I turned into a slasher, and I was not even like – my percentage probably went down to about 34 35%, which isn't horrible, but you wouldn't consider me a shooter at that time. Uh, I was a lot more well-rounded, and I was a lot more of a better physical player, I think, because I spent more time – after my career, uh, after my college career, on my body. So not, by not getting those reps, by not getting as many reps in the summertime, my shot, I don't want to say it disappeared, but I wasn't as good of a shooter. I can admit that. Um, so I think reps and, uh, gives you that confidence. Uh, and obviously getting reps of the kind of shots you're going to take in the game. And that's something I worry about is the kids today, they see the Steph Curry drills. I mean, I think Steph Curry's an anomaly. There's not going to be a lot of – there's never going to be – he's amazing. Like what, what he does – shooting the basketball, I don't think we're going to see that very often ever in the next, you know, 500 years. So I hope kids don't think that they can just come over half court and start launching up threes, man. And I, But they, but they have access to such amazing database of so many coaches that, that show drills. So that, that also is helpful. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious to see how these next couple of years or maybe even the next five to 10 years play out with, you know, you watch a guy like Steph and he can make a shot. You know, like, like whatever his body is, he can make a shot. He's just like you say, he's kind of got a knack. And he does practice that stuff too. But not everyone needs to be taking those shots. I mean, I don't know his exact no. number. But he's, <laughs> you know, he's, he's close to 40% and, or probably more than that and, uh, takes some ridiculously hard shots. Well, if you are taking those shots in games, you're probably going to be sitting on the bench because you're not going to shoot the same percentage as Steph does. So that's, uh, we'll see how it works. Uh, I know. In our era, we all tried to do the fadeaway jump shot that Michael Jordan did, and uh, right, right, right. <laughs> nobody could really do it as good as him. No, I know. Kobe, but uh, but uh, I remember my coach would sit me. My coach would sit me down, Dave. I mean, I don't know if anybody knows that uh, Coach Edward Zielinski, his style, but he was pretty old school. And, and the moment I tried to take that shot, he would tell he would call me Johnny All Star and told me to sit down for a, a couple minutes to cool <laughs> off. And I said, yeah, I got you, Coach. But you know what the thing is, like the, nowadays, man, the, the three-point line is so valuable in stats and, and all that we do, and the game is changing, the modern game. I mean, fives are popping and shooting threes that you have to wonder, um, you know, how far are we going to – how far – you know, is this a trend? Is this how it's going to be? Or are we going to go back to some, you know, basics and, and, and back-to-the-basket kind of play? It's It's – I guess in a way – you know, I think the shooting is going to get better and better because that's what the game is demanding and asking. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. I was just talking about this with uh, with our staff uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it, it does seem that the the game moves in trends. But this one, I think, because of the math behind it, unless you change something, meaning back the lineup or change the value of threes to not be you know, three to a two, so one and a half times is valuable. Right. I think you're yeah. right. I think I think it might even go a little bit more in that direction of, like, we might not be shooting enough threes on average. I mean, our team certainly does here at Colgate, but uh, but there's some teams that I still, you know, they might be like, wait a minute, what are we pounding in low for when we can, uh, you know, shoot a shot that's 35% and, and get the same amount of points as a 50% shot? So exactly. uh, I, I actually exactly. think it might keep moving in that direction until – something changes or you're shooting like 55% of your shots as threes. But I guess uh, time will tell on that one. Um, well, you, they, but, uh, you say, they say you live and die by that three, Dave, you know, and uh, 
I saw Houston in the, in the, in the, the series against. So I didn't see like every game, but I noticed in at one point they had missed by something like 27 in a row. Yeah, and uh, yep. and they ended up dying. They ended up dying by that three, you know. And at that point, you kind of wonder, like, should we not get something at the basket? Should we not get a foul and get some foul trouble? Should we not pound the ball inside and get something at a higher percentage? Our, our shots are quote unquote not falling. We're we're dying with our threes. So, but again, like you said, like that mathematic thing is 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 what everybody's looking at. Like, hey, you only got to do is shoot thirty five percent, and it's worth more than your fifty percent too. That's that's incredible. Yeah, and and I think that, and I'm obviously a math guy, so, um, you know, I, 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 this is kind of going against, uh, the, just the straight math, but having been a player, and I think, you know, people feel this, but it's almost like, yeah, they're, they missed 27 in a row, and that's a, an anomaly. You got Daryl Morey, and he'll say it'll never happen again. But a little bit of that to me felt like, like we're not supposed to win this game, and the shots yeah. that we took, we're a little bit like a little bit more pressure, a little bit more on it, a little bit. And yeah, over the course of the yeah, season, the they probably didn't miss 27 shots one time, but there's some feel to the game where, you know, when you're playing and so on and you're like, Oh my God, we're about to beat the Warriors. All we got to do is make a couple shots. Well, then you put a little bit more pressure on yourself. And if your arms are, you know, an extreme example, your arms are shaking, you're not going to shoot the same as when your arms aren't shaking. So right, uh, right, I do think right, there right. is a little bit of that in it too. Absolutely, absolutely. That's a good point. Um, okay, moving on. Uh, now in games, um, what do you guys personally track, and then what what might be different about what they track over in Europe than what we're used to over here in uh, in America? Well, first I, I start on the defensive side. I like to to track any time we get a three stop in a row uh, type of deal. Um, sometimes if it's five stops in a row, that's a really uh, great thing. Um, we look at the, the defensive, uh, you know, how much, what is our field goal percentage that we're giving up, you know, both at the two and at the three. And, uh, and, and then from an offensive standpoint, you know, we're more about the assists, uh, our three point percentage. Um, of course, we're going back to three point percentage here. And, uh, I think, uh, the other thing that we track that I've, I've not as much, but I want to track it more is how many passes are we making? Making a in the game and and how many consecutive passes do like can we get in a possession? So for example, if I have a possession where I get like a four consecutive passes without a dribble, I'm almost certain that offense is going to look really good and that's going to be a great offense. Um, so I've we try to promote our our team to look guys like like two passes is already good, three passes great, four passes tremendous. When we get a section of five, which really happens, you know, you dribble kick extra pass you know, extra pass, and he throws it in a post, kicks it back out, and all of a sudden we get a wide-open shot. You know, that stuff is beautiful. So we're trying to promote, like, consecutive passes and, and consecutive stops, basically, offense and defense. And, you know, I'm very old school, again, when it comes to the statistics. Like, I get that stat sheet, and the first thing I'm looking at going into halftime is, you know, what's their field goal percentage? You know, how many assists do we got? And, you know, and also turnovers. Sometimes I'm looking at turnovers on both sides. Sure, and just to get uh, so you're obviously coaching professionals. I'm coaching uh, collegiate amateurs. Um, at this point, they're still amateurs. Um, that might change soon. But uh, how yeah. hard is it? You know, we spend so much time on playing for each other and playing for the team and making the right decision. But you you have to battle 
guys kind of, you know, they're playing for money, playing for contracts. How yeah, how yeah. do you handle that, and how, how different is that from the, your college experience to, to the pro experience? You know, it's funny. I, I was. This is the one question I was kind of trying to prepare myself because it's a really difficult question to, to answer. Because, you know, when you bring in the money aspect, when you bring in the contract aspect, aspect like the, the the money always sort of like, you know, comes first for these players. Whether we want to hear that or not, it, it's just a reality, Dave. I tr- I've tried so many times to find guys to come in hungry and one opportunity, and it's very rare, uh, especially as. You you go up the ladder in Europe when your money gets a little bit bigger. That guys are like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll take fifty thousand less just to go play for you. It just doesn't happen. Um, so I try. What I try to do is, is um, first of all, recruit guys that are high level character and and guys that I can see with the kind of background that fits our style first and foremost. So if I'm getting a guy who's a good dude who wants to, uh, you know, good high level character guy and fits our system already, I'm, I'm in a good situation right there. And then from that point, you know, it's about trying to teach the guys that the more we win, the higher they're, they're going to get paid. You know, if I have a guy, because uh, I'm a coach, and I know that when I look at a team that I'm looking for a player and I see a guy, you know, an agent sends me a name, here, take a look at this guy. He scored 18 a game last year in Finland, and I see he was on the second-to-last place team in, in the league. I immediately almost write him off. Whereas if I see a guy who won a championship or on the second place team averaging only 12 or 13, I might find that more valuable. Um, I try to get them to understand that winning gets guys paid. So, and the only way we can win is if we're all on the same page. So I, you know, I can't do nothing anymore. I'm not a player. I can only lay out a, a roadmap for them. And it's up to them to be in that roadmap as best they can together. And that's kind of been my like philosophy since day one. Like I, and I know that, you know, and sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you can get a player who, you know, who's coming off an injury, who's normally, you know, a $100,000 player, and he's like, you know what, I'm going to take 50000 I'm coming in hungry. I, I, I missed last year with an injury. You get that once in a while, but when, when you're getting up the ladder, it's very rare to see guys take cuts to and, and you know, come down on salaries. They're, they're, they're very first thinking about themselves, and that's that's something you got to get over right away when you get in there, when you bring them in. How, how difficult is it, especially with a lot of guys with the language barrier, to – be able to find out about their character are you are you basically relying on people you trust agents you trust like how yeah, difficult yeah. is it to like to actually figure that out before they actually before they get on your team and it's too late right so i do rely on a lot of relationships in the business uh, whether it's through agents uh you know coaches former coaches uh that have had the player um guys that have competed i remember calling you one time about a player that you had yep. competed against that wasn't even on your team because that's sometimes a little bit more honest. You know, if I call a college coach, and usually if he's a, uh, a guy that's done well for the program, regardless of how he is as a person, like they're going to say hey, he's the best player, you know. He helped us win games, and, and and he might be the biggest, you know, jerk in the world. Who knows? Yeah. So, yeah, so, you know what I mean, selfish guy. So you yep. gotta, sometimes you got to go around that and try to find guys that he's competed against of course, I'll talk if he's had European experience. The European coaches are usually pretty honest because we're all, you know, we're we're kind of liable for what we say. Like if I say this guy's a great guy and he comes in and he's the biggest jerk in the world, like that coach can call me back and say, what did you, why did you tell me he's a great guy? So, <laughs> you know, we, we have to be kind of honest to each other. So I know in Europe when they've played already, it's always a good telling of what the coach says. And then the last final factor that I, I, I bring into it is the personal conversation that I have with the player. 
And a lot of times when I call a player before we sign him, I'm not even talking about, like, our team and selling our team. Like, like I, I want to know about him. Tell me about you. What do you like? You know, what's your family? Like, where are you from? And I want to hear him talk. You know, I want to hear, hear him talk about himself. If he's a guy who doesn't really seem to talk much or it seems like he has a little bit of a, an arrogance to him, then you can kind of pick that up in a conversation. You may not be perfect, but uh, you have a feeling after the conversation what kind of guy he is. Yeah, I think there's so many – this part of it, there's so many parallels to it just because uh, we're searching for the same thing. And, and we have a, a, a lot of rules in place that prevent meeting and, you know, coming to campus a, a limited amount of times and going to them a limited amount of times. But I think it's the yeah. same thing. Like, we're always searching for, you know, that, that, that the character part of it that, uh, that yeah. you might not know in, a, you know, three phone calls and one official visit and watching him play four or five times. Um so, again, relationships, I think, are so key. Uh, and and I, I like just kind of stealing that from you, like just hearing them talk about themselves. Like hearing them yeah. talk more, I think, helps uh, just finding out a little bit more about them. You just need info. You need, you need as much information as you can, and then you and then you got to process it. Um, Absolutely. So, and, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and one of the guys that I – that I really have obviously a huge amount of respect for. And I just missed playing for him because uh, he came in two years after I left Illinois is, is Coach Jay Wright. And, you know, I asked Coach Jay Wright one time, I said, Coach, you know, you really, like, went from being a good teams to having great teams. Like, you know, what did you do different in your recruiting? And his his answer was so simple. He said, character. Like, I, I'm going after guys that are that are hardworking, like, tough dudes. Like, I, I go after toughness and good dudes. If I find a good guy who's tough, I can, I can do something with that. And I was like, you know what? That makes sense. Because he goes, obviously, there's a level of, of, of talent you got to have. But, you know, there's let's say there's 10 guys of equal talent. I'm always going to pick the better guy with who's tough, no matter what. I don't care about all right. their attributes, you know. And all of a sudden, they've taken off that program. And it makes a lot of sense. So uh, that became like almost like my creed, like it's got to be first character. It's got to be first the guys who are going to be willing to play for the team and tough as nails. And, and then from there you can, you can work with that. Now, now kind of keeping on this same uh, uh, theme here. So how, I guess the first question is how involved are you in the uh, uh, acquisition uh, portion of it? Is that, is there like a GM or that, that finds guys yeah. or is it mainly just you? Well, it depends on what team you're on. I know the last team I did most of the the, the majority of the negotiations and everything. And but here I'm kind of lucky with the new team that I'm on is I can just basically uh, speak with the agents about what players I'm interested in and what 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 budget we have for that. Now, from regards from the standpoint of just like the negotiations and all that stuff with the agent and dealing with all that headache, I actually have a GM here that I, I let do that, and which makes in ways it actually makes life a lot easier, but sometimes it makes it harder because you have an idea of what you want to do, and then your GM comes in and throws a curveball at all, you know, at both parties, both myself and the agent, um, which can happen sometimes. Uh, but again, I, I like having the GM do the negotiations because then if there's a little bit of a tough negotiation at the end of the day when you sign them, it wasn't me that had to deal with it. Now the player yeah, can come into yeah. my program not worried about what I was having to say and why I want to get him at a cheaper price. It was more my GM. He's a bad guy. So it's nice to have that guy on your side. Now, is there, is this, this is a little bit of a naive question, uh, but is there like a salary cap or anything, or is it just totally dependent on 
your 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 team's finances and what you're willing to pay. Yeah, so a lot of Europe is about is just simply about that budget, and that's why you know it's very clear as you go up the ladder which teams you want to work for and 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 try to get onto you know in Europe because every team seems to have a different budget. Now I was on a team, for example, the average salary that we were paying was about thirty five thousand euros per guy, let's say, um, so forty thousand uh, dollars. That was two years ago, and, and, and we, you know, we had a level of success. I think twice we finished four out of ten play, out of ten teams, and, and we got to the finals of a, of a Belgian Cup one time. So we've had, a, for us, that was pretty successful because, to give you an example, the team I'm on now, our average salary is more like 70000 almost double, you know. So right. it's, if you were working in two different ballparks there, I mean, apples and oranges, like I, I have much more availability to get the better player or the more experienced player, and that that should make it easier for you. It doesn't necessarily ha- work that way. Uh, you have to do, you know, all the, the groundwork uh, to get the right players and the guys that fit your system regardless of price. But, I mean, obviously you, you're dealing with a little bit of an advantage when you can pay almost double the amount I, I was paying before. Sure, sure. Um, and then kind of moving on from that, like I know you go to that the uh, Vegas, um, I can't think of what it's called now. Is it the Worldwide Invite? World, yeah, the, the Worldwide the worldwide camp. worldwide invite camp, yeah, and you've been doing yeah. that a couple of years. So, uh, you know, when you go to that, uh, you know, statistically or even non-statistically, what are you looking for from from those guys? Like, what, what's going to catch your eye, and uh, what are you looking for? Uh, first, I, I look at I, again. Start with the character. What kind of work ethic do they have? Are they are they preparing before they they're early preparing before the game to get you know a little bit of stretch in some foam rolling and whatever it might be. I look at their personality with the other players. Are they are they kind of to themselves? Are they are they integrating in with the group? I'm looking at you know are they here just to put like shots up and show that they can score? Or are they try to are they trying to play basketball? Are they defending? Are they you know I, I had one guy pick up full court um, and absolutely bully guys the whole time and I was like I love this guy and I mean, he wasn't the best by far not the best basketball player at that camp. But because of his, he was like that Deladova type. Like I'm gonna get in you full yeah. court. I'm just gonna be really tough. And I took him my first year. And this guy was one of the better point guards in our in our in our league at the time. His name was Jesse Sanders. I'll never forget it. And uh, yeah. Um, so you, you'll see aspects live, and even get a chance to coach guys. So I look at those kind of things. And the last thing I think is IQ. You know, like I, I remember, you know, again, this camp serves a great purpose for this reason alone. I remember seeing a guy in college. I was like, man, this guy really. It looks like he can really play. He can score the basketball, and so I was like, I, 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 I don't know why he's at this worldwide camp. He should be having a job. So I picked him up, and I wanted to run a few like you know elevator sets for him to come off screen, like some misdirection screen, so he can come off and get some shots. He screwed up the play every time, and I was like, I can't have this guy on my team. He'll screw up any time yeah. I want to draw something up for him. I can't have him. I would have never known that had I not been in that situation. So that that camp is fantastic for that reason alone. And uh, and gives you access to like have guys for two days and and see if they could a fit your system b like fit all the things that you're looking for and that's that's why I keep going back is if I if I have a job in Europe man I'm, I'm and Justin Haynes is the guy who runs it if he if he invites me back I'm always going just for that reason alone. Gotcha, gotcha. And, and so, uh, how many Americans are you allowed on your team now? Is there still a rule or what's the math? Yeah, yeah. No, we're allowed six Americans in Belgium. So I have six 
Americans uh, or foreign players, I should say, because one of them is Serbian. Yeah. I, I, last year I had a guy from Bosnia, so we've had you know different different guys. It's not just always Americans, but we're allowed six foreigners and six Belgians, and not everybody uses the whole six. Sometimes guys go with you know eight Belgians if they can get the better ones. With only four foreigners, it just depends, and also on budgeting. Because obviously, the more foreigners you bring in, the more cars I got to get, the more apartments I have to get. Yeah. yeah. And so, so you know, clubs think about those things as well. So. And how does that process work? Are you bringing, you know, is that something where you'll bring a guy over and and you can do this over there, but bring him in for like ten days if he fits you guys, you'll keep him. If not, you send him home. How much is that happening? Yeah, it happens a lot, and I hate to say that it does. You know, we we have a lot of pressure on ourselves to, you know, as coaches to get the job done. And, and if we made a mistake, we're – it's us that's liable, you know. And, and sometimes you got to make a decision. Like, it's either I get rid of one or two players because the, the owner and the GM are going to give me another shot with getting into two different guys. Um, or, you know, I'm going to get sacked for this, you know. So sometimes those kind of things happen. You bring a guy in who just doesn't fit. He's a bad character guy. Uh, you know, you made a mistake and you're recruiting in some way, shape, or form. Whatever it, it it has to happen sometimes, you know. Guy, you know, coaches are going to do that. I have been lucky not to have to have done it a lot, Dave. I've done it, uh, I think twice. Both of them. One was because the guy did not fit our system at all, and I shocked me. I thought he was going to be really good. Um, the second guy came in with a really bad attitude and did some things off the court that were inexcusable, and so it was very easy for us to get rid of him. I mean, I, actually, the agent was like, "Thanks, you know, we'll, we'll thank you. Don't say nothing." And so he was a really right. bad guy, which which slipped through the crack. We didn't expect that, you know. And he came from a great program. Uh, he, you know, guys said good things about him. It's just it's just sometimes, you know, you may not know everything about the guy. So, sure, sure. And now just looking at your roster, I guess this is from last year. Uh, Scott Thomas, Jack Gibbs is he a foreign? Was he? He's uh... yeah. Jack Gibbs was tremendous. He we came out of Davidson. He's actually. He yeah, was the I second leading so, yeah. scorer behind Steph Curry, and then all of a sudden, a guy this year just passed him, Peyton Aldridge. So oh, he's, wow. he, yeah, he, he played with a guy who was scoring just as much points as him, and it, he's, I mean, Jack Kiss can fill it up. That guy can really shoot it. And now, how how much turnover is there? Because you're, you're you're kind of in a little bit of, uh, I mean, a lot of uh, low major, not academic schools are kind of dealing with this now, where you know, their freshmen and sophomores blow up and then they leave to go high major. So how much is it, it – I imagine there must be a lot of turnover. If a guy kills it for you, yeah. he's going to want to get paid and, you know, some teams can 100%. pay more than others. Yeah. Look, I, to put it into collegiate-like terms, I would say we're also a mid-major program. You know, we're we're not – you know, we're not the Big Ten, ACC, you know, we're Pac-10, Big East. We're none of those programs. Like, Belgium is a mid-major program that pays good salaries. You'll get all your money. It's a nice country to play in. It's a stepping stone for a lot of great players. So uh, a good rookie who maybe Spain, Italy, Turkey, these teams have bigger money. They they look at him and say, I don't know if he's ready yet. We might be able to get that guy, you know. He plays for us for about 70, 75, and maybe 80, and then – if he has a great year in Belgium, all of a sudden that Turkey, that Spain, that, that Italian team is now all of a sudden like, all right, we're ready to pay him 125, 150 on a lower team in Italy. And if that, you know, if he does well that, he's going to, you know, double that and get into the 250 range on, on Euro League teams or something like that, you know. So, and then depending on how far you go, I mean, I know in certain teams in, in Euro League, some guys are making up to a 
a million a year. Uh, right. There's some really, yeah, some really big budgets in the Euro League, but uh, yeah, a lot of money to be made over here if you, if you can work your way up the ladder. Obviously, Spain, Russia, Turkey, um, Germany's now become one of the bigger names in uh, leagues in in, in uh, Europe. So. Uh, obviously, Italy A1, France Pro A is a really big. Those are your your major programs, and then we're we're about mid major. Right, right. Um, now, quickly getting back to just like the the, the game itself, um, what what differences do you see in the you know the American game versus the European game? Um, you know, generally speaking, or or statistically speaking, just either either one. Well, the one thing I noticed when I watched some college basketball is I think the player movement and the spacing is not the same. I think in Europe we do a really good job of, especially in ball screen situation, of getting that space and that movement. It's not, you know, guys lifting and, and finding the window and, uh, you know, getting, they call it the Spain pick and roll action where there's a back screen on the, on the roll guy. So you got one guy moving and screening on the screen. Like there's a lot of movement. And also the spacing, I, I really have noticed. Like, just seems very evident and clear in the, the European game, and in the, in the American game, it's not as evident. There's a little bit more one-on-one. I think a little bit more transition game. I mean, obviously, you know, 18, 22-year-old, you know, young men are going to be a lot more, I think, valuable getting out on the break and running, and and I don't want to say running and gunning, but playing that kind of style, you know. And as you get older, they start to play a little bit more structured and. And intellectual, you know what I'm saying? As the defense gets better, as as the players get better. Sure, sure. But that and, spacing, and how that much spacing and movement is incredible, Dave. Incredible. Yeah, I mean, I've seen some clips. Uh, I try and watch it a little bit over there because I think we can steal some stuff from from, uh, from that from that idea uh, of just better spacing and, and different type pick and rolls and even set plays that I've seen coaches run over there. Um, how much does that matter for you in selecting from like different colleges meaning uh that guy played at kentucky he played uh a different style yeah, or he played point. at a mid-major school like you care where a guy played college and and the the, the pedigree that he's coming from absolutely man it's a, uh it, especially that's one of my advantages i feel like i have as an american coach and have been in the american you know collegiate system is i kind of know how programs play so for example Jack Gibbs was one of the guys we took last year. One of the reasons why we took Jack Gibbs is because he plays for Coach McKillop, who plays a very European style, like a lot of like four or five guys out, you know, with a lot of spacing, a lot of movement, player movement, a lot of reading and reacting. And I knew right away when I got Jack Gibbs that he would his transition into the European game would be smoother and quicker. So knowing what program guys come from and how they play actually does make a difference. If I get a guy from, you know, Cincinnati who's known for being in, like, a defense and, like, simple sets and, and transition. It might be different for that guy to transition into a European type of flow game. So it's it's absolutely – if you know that the, the way certain colleges play, I think it's a huge advantage. I think that's actually one of my advantages because I'm probably not half as smart as some of these coaches over here. They're so good. They're so smart. Um these European coaches got to go get to schooling and get their degrees in coaching. It's unbelievable. Um, but I get that advantage of knowing what, what program they're coming from. A good friend of mine actually has always asked me, he's like, what kind of program is this? What kind of program is that? He's always trying to get the ins and outs on, on what kind of coaching they're getting there and the style they get. So that, that, that's an advantage. Right? If you know that, it's huge. Nice. Nice. 
All right, well, Brian, I'll, I'll let you get back down to uh, probably beach weather. It's pretty nice up here. I'm sure it's pretty nice down there uh, in the Jersey Shore. No problem, um, but I, I really appreciate you uh, coming on and, and taking the time to kind of talk through some things uh, of the European game. Um, I don't know when I'll see you next, but uh, always a pleasure to catch up, and uh, best of luck to you guys going forward. Thanks, Dave, and best of luck to you too as well, man. Hope you guys have a great uh, season. Thanks, Brian.